Hey, grab your Bibles if you have them and open up to Deuteronomy chapter 3. If you need a Bible, there's some on the chairs there around you, page 115. While you're turning there, let me go back to what we just did with prayer. It is the responsibility and the privilege of every believer in Christ to pray and ask God for healing. Everyone. It's not reserved for just pastors or special super Christians. Um, it's not even just reserved for those who might have some kind of gifts of healings, right? It's, it's for every believer in Christ. We're commanded not only in the Great Commission, but also in the book of James, chapter 5, that we should pray for one another when they're sick. And so when we get to do it like this, and, and we switch it up a lot, but when you go and pray, that's because you're also part of the body of Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, you're part of the body of Christ. You, too, can be praying for people when they're sick. And I hope that what, what's going to happen is you're going to become more and more comfortable with it because I know it's new. But listen, we probably don't see healings as often as we could because we just simply don't ask. And sometimes we just don't have because we don't ask, right? So that's why we do that. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 3, we're going to wrap this chapter up today with just a few verses. This will be the, this among some of the, the shorter verses that we look at as we go through uh, these, the end of chapter 3. And so, as just a quick refresh, remember, we're still in that first sermon of Moses. As we're going through this book, this is, this is the book of Deuteronomy, but there's seven sermons that Moses is giving. This is the first one and the longest one. It'll end at the end of chapter 4, and then, and then he'll start his other sermons. But also keep in mind this. Remember that Moses, what he's doing is they've just come through the wilderness. They've had some military victories, and he is now telling this generation, this new generation who's about to go into the land that God has promised, he's telling them, here's what God's covenant is. Here's the covenant that he made with you because he's then going to call them to renew their commitment to the covenant. There was a need to renew their commitment because the previous generation, the one that Moses is talking to, it was their, uh, their parents and grandparents. Those were the people that refused to go into the land. Those were the people who, who didn't go into the land because they were giants, and they didn't believe God when he says, I'm giving you this land, so go in and take it. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years, one year for every day that the spies were in the land. So Moses is now taking this new generation of people. They're standing on the cusp of the, the promised land, and he is helping them to know, here's how we got here. This is the part of the book where he's saying, here's how we got here. Here's what led up to this event or th this, this time. I misspoke last week when I said we're going to see Moses die this week. No, we're going to find out Moses is going to die before he gets in the land. But Moses dying comes much later in the book. And um, so just in case that, that was caught this week, I know one of my daughters caught that this week, which tells me she's listening. Actually, um, in my house, I don't know how it works in your house. In my house, I have daughters who listen to their dad preaching sermons to fall asleep every night. I'm going to choose to believe that's so that they have great dreams and that it deepens their love of the Lord, not that the sermons just put them asleep. But you can believe whatever you want. All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 3, verse 23. Here's where we're going this morning. Disobedience can keep the people of God from experiencing more of the power of God. Now, we've talked a lot about obedience and disobedience. But again, it's because this is the major theme going into the promised land. Why are they just now getting to this location that at one point was 11 days away, but it took them 40 years to get there? Why? Because of disobedience. So disobedience to the Lord makes a difference. 
And what we've seen is many different times that disobedience and the power of God go hand in hand. This morning, we're going to see it on a whole new level. We're going to see that disobedience can keep the people of God from experiencing more of the power of God, but that includes everybody in the people of God, not just your average people of God, but your leaders too. So here's what we're going to look at first. Once you experience the power of God, you want to experience more. So here it is, verse 23, chapter 3, verse 23. Once you experience the power of God, you want to experience more. Here's Moses. He says, and I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have only begun to show your servant your greatness in your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? Please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country and Lebanon. We're going to pause there for a moment. So Moses already knows that he's not going to get to go into the land. God has already revealed that to him. And I'm going to show you that here in just a moment in the book of Numbers. But Moses is coming before God and he's pleading with him. And that word pleading, Moses is asking for favor. He's asking for kindness and he's asking for compassion from God because he knows that's what he's in need of. And I just stop and I wonder how many of us know that we are in need of God's kindness and his compassion towards us. Apart from that, we have nothing. Everything that I have has been given to me by God. Everything that I will ever possess has been given to me by God. Every step that I take, every Forgive the the reference. Move that I make, right? (laughs) I had already started it, right? Um, Everything is, is given to me by God as a gift. I live and breathe because God is showing his kindness and his compassion to me. And Moses is now coming and he's asking for more. Now, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this said, recent, recent. And this is not a knock. It's just we, we've got to grow in this. God has shown us kindness in one area, or he's shown us favor in one area, or he's shown us compassion in another area. And we think, God, I'm not going to ask for more because you've already done this. And I, I understand the, the, the level of humility that, that oftentimes is coming with that. But let me say to you lovingly, your God Our God is inexhaustible. There is an overabundance of what he can and will give if we ask. And we just have to ask. And so Moses comes and he says, I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God. Now, that phrase, O Lord God, it's two Hebrew words, right? Adonai and Yahweh. It's two words put together. Now, oftentimes, it's a common way to, to... to to put those words together, Adonai, Yahweh, right? Sometimes your translations will say sovereign Lord because it's trying to capture the the weight of putting those words together. Um, Or it might just go like this, Lord God. But oftentimes when you see this combination together, it's when God is showing his mighty works, his power. So all throughout the creation narrative, as God is creating and as God is, is, is seen in the act of creating, it's Lord God, Adonai, Yahweh. And, and, and then, and then when, when God is overcoming opposition and he's, he's raining down plagues or he is showing his power in the midst of the people, it's oftentimes the Lord God, right? Because the Lord God captures that, that, that aspect of who God is that is powerful. It's the, the aspect of God where God is intervening in the course of history and he's showing himself as powerful. And so, so Moses is pleading to God, understanding who God is by addressing him through these names, I wonder, sometimes when we pray, what we call God reflects what we believe about God. 
Sometimes the way we speak to God and the names that we use to speak to God reveal to us and to any of those who are listening what we really believe about Him. And it's not that one name or another is, is necessarily wrong, but you know, New Testament, Jesus tells us when you pray, pray this way, our Father. So it's not wrong for us to pray God, but Jesus says you can actually get far more intimate than that. You can say our Father. Because through Christ, you have become a son or a daughter. And so you go before the throne of grace with confidence. You say, our Father. And that's hard for some people, I understand, because of maybe experiences with Father. But, but without getting too deep into it, let me just throw this out there. This is the best ideal Father that you would ever imagine. Anything that you've experienced on earth doesn't even come close to touching it. Even if you've had the best of experiences with your, your dad here on earth, it doesn't even come close. It merely points you to as a shadow of who your heavenly father is. And for those of you who've experienced the worst from, uh, from the hands of the mouth of a dad, it, it points you to the fact that even though this has been your experience here on earth, this is not your father in heaven. It's not what he desires or intended, and it's not who he is. And so Jesus says, you can pray our father. And so, but Moses is calling upon the powerful God, the Lord God, and he says, you've only begun to show your servant. Now, I'm going to get to that begun for a moment, but just look how Moses refers to himself. He says, Adonai Yahweh, the Lord God, right, the, the sovereign Lord, it, it's God in his proper place, the one who is all-powerful, your servant. He, he understands his position. And, 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 and Moses is one who spoke face-to-face -face with God. And yet, in this moment, as he's praying and he's pleading with God, he, he acknowledges, your sovereign Lord, your Lord God. I'm your servant. We have got to have the right perspective on who God is and who we are. When we start to flip those and we elevate ourselves and God becomes either a genie in a bottle for us, why, why didn't he do this for me? I, I asked, I prayed, I, I, I lived my life in obedience to this or that. When we start to, to do that, we start to elevate ourselves over God. When we start to think, well, I'm only going to turn to God when things get bad, what I'm saying is, God, I'm actually greater than you because I can manage my life most of the time, but you're my fallback plan. And that's not who God is. When I keep God in perspective that he is the all-powerful God, he's the creator God, he created all things from nothing, and yet he's the God who enters into his creation that he might be known by us that we might know him, and it's more than just knowing about him, it's knowing him. Jesus would tell his disciples, you know, I, I don't call you servants anymore, I call you friends. A servant doesn't know what his master's doing, but a friend, a friend knows all things. When we're in Christ, we're also the friends of God. But being a friend of God still does not change who God is and who I am. I don't get to demand of God. I don't get to try to obligate God or push him in a corner. I, I'm his friend in Christ. He reveals things to me. He reveals things to us, right? But I am still his creation, and I can never reverse that order. And so Moses says, Lord God, you have be only begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. Now, I was struck by this. Because Moses says, you've only begun to show and let's just recall for a moment what Moses has experienced in his lifetime up to this. Almost, almost 120 years at this point, right? Because Moses is going to die at about 120 years. 
Well, he saw a bush that was burning and was not being consumed. It wasn't necessarily unusual that a bush was on fire in the desert. That happens. What was unusual was that the bush wasn't being consumed by the fire. And then out of the fire comes the voice of God. That's unusual. He's given a staff. And in order to demonstrate the power of God, that staff is changed into a snake and then picked back up and changed into a staff. He goes and, and he goes and stands before the greatest king, the, the most powerful person on all of the planet, and he says to that person, in the authority of God, let my people go, and then he sees 10 plagues come on these, the most powerful empire at the time, each plague a judgment on one of the gods that Egyptians worshipped. He has seen God do that in one localized region while sparing his people nearby. He's seen his people, uh, seen God bring his people out from Egypt, just like he said. And they're wandering in the desert. They come up to this Red Sea, and they, they, can't, they can't go anywhere else. And so they've got Pharaoh to their back, and they've got this water to their, their front. And God says, hold up your staff. So they hold up the staff, and what happens is the water parts. Long enough for over a million people. Because when the Bible counts numbers, it counts men. It does not include in the numbers women and children. So just, just conservative numbers. If you've got 600,000 men and you assume that even half of them are married and have at least one kid, right? So you've got all these people going on dry ground. As soon as the last one gets off uh, out of the, 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 the Red Sea, then the waters collapse on the Pharaoh. You've seen, he, he's seen that while they're wandering in the wilderness, he's seen God take bitter water that was not drinkable and by simply throwing a tree trunk in it, the water becomes sweet so that they could drink it. There's been one place where Moses was told to, to hit a rock. This is an important distinction. He was told to hit a rock, and he hits the rock. And water out in the middle of the desert comes out of the rock. He has seen bread on a daily basis, manna, just fall from heaven, enough to sustain the entire people of Israel on a day-to-day -day basis. On the day before the Sabbath, there would be two portions that they could gather that would stay good. When they desired quail, God had a wind blow quail into the desert, so they had so much quail they were sick of it. These are the kinds of things that Moses has seen up to this point. And just recently, he has seen God overcome Sihon, the king, right? And then he's seen um, God overcome Og, the king of Bashan, which we talked about last week. Both of these, including giants in the land. He has seen God overcome all of these things, and yet Moses... Pleading with God says, you've only just begun to show me. If Moses thinks that after all that he has seen, he's only just beginning to see, I've seen nothing. You've seen nothing. Our God is inexhaustible. There is no end to his power. There is no end to his greatness. You and I cannot reach the end of God. You and I cannot ask too much of God to where he can't give because, you, because he doesn't have enough. And God, help us. God, help us. If I get to a spot where I think that I know all there is to know about God, that I can no longer know anything more about him. And even more so, God, help me if I think just simply knowing about God is enough if I don't know him. Because the inexhaustible richness of who God is is not simply found in knowing about him. I have to know about him so that I can know him. But what God desires for his people is that they would know 
him. And part of knowing God, as Moses would say in Exodus, is, God, if you don't go with us, if your presence doesn't go with us, we don't want to go. Because apart from your presence, there's nothing distinct about us. The people of God are made distinct by the presence, and where the presence of God, the power of God. And if Moses says, you've only just begun, I would like to get to where Moses was just starting, right? Because if Moses has seen all that he, he's seen and he says, you've only just begun, I, I'd be okay right now with, I'd just like to be where Moses started. But do we ask for that? Do we expect that God will and can and does do that? Or is it a little too risky? Is it a little too risky for me to expect God to act in power like I see him do in the scriptures? Is it a little too risky for me to, to ask of God to do signs and wonders when that's what he did even in the New Testament as the church was spreading? Because I'm concerned about what others might think about me. Because I'm concerned that if I ask, he may not do it. What if I, what if I cause someone to have a false hope? Because I tell them that, that God can do this and then they, they expect him to do it and then he doesn't for whatever reason. Like there's all kinds of reasons why we don't. But I, I wonder if we'd be willing to risk asking. Because Moses is saying, I, I've only just begun to see. I want more. And, and, and I want more. And I'm going to say to you, once you have experienced the power of God, you too will want more. And I'd be willing to bet that many of us, this is true of me, has been true of me. Many of us have really not experienced the power of God very often, if at all. Like he saved us, and there's power in that. But I'm talking about in the day-to-day -day living. We're praying for healing because God heals. We're not praying for healing just to make people feel better. That's, that's not why we do that. The command wasn't pray for healing so that they might feel better about their situation. It was actually heal the sick, which means Jesus expected his followers to do that, right, in God's power. I'm asking God for his power to be present among us. I'm asking for God's power to be present in my life. And I don't mean just I get excited about things and call that God's power. I don't mean we just have a great worship service and call that God's power. I'm talking about where God breaks into our existence and changes things in the way that God only can change. That's what I'm asking for. That's the things Moses saw. And then he says, I've only just begun because he longed for more. And when you experience the power of God, you will long for more. And if you've never experienced it, and the first time you do, you're going to realize, oh, I've never experienced it until now. And then you're going to start in the best of ways chasing that. God, I, I don't want to settle for less. I want to see more. I've only just begun. That's Moses' prayer. I, I want to see your greatness. And this reference to your mighty hand, when God's mighty hand is described, that's God doing signs and wonders. That's God acting in power. That's when God does miracles, and that's where God breaks in and he overcomes people that are opposition. That's where God shows himself as mighty. When the scriptures in the Old Testament use mighty hand in our English translation, that is describing God's powerful working among his people. And then Moses goes on and he says, for what, for what God is there? Little g God. What God is there in heaven or on earth who can do such works and mighty acts as yours? See, what Moses recognizes, first off, Moses recognizes there are other spiritual beings that God created. Moses recognizes, now the word for little g God there is El here, short form of Elohim. 
And we've talked about the word Elohim. Elohim is oftentimes a word used to describe God. It's a name used of God, but it's not exclusive to God. Elohim and El are simply used in the Hebrew language for any kind of spiritual being that is not contained by a body, which means El and Elohim can be used to describe both the one true God and also any other spiritual being that is not contained in a body. Angels, demons, and the scriptures will often call them gods, little g, gods. Why? Because the people that are under the rule of these spiritual beings are worshiping them as gods, worshiping creation rather than creator. Moses recognized that. He, he, didn't, he didn't have a faulty understanding that these people were just worshiping something that was fictitious. They're worshiping something that's real. Deuteronomy tells us that. 1 Corinthians 10 tells us that. When they were making sacrifices to their idols, they were making sacrifices to demons. Demons are spiritual beings that have rebelled against God. They're not contained in a body. They can fall under the category of Elohim, or El for short. And so when he says, what other God is there in heaven? He's acknowledging there's other spiritual beings. There's other nations that worship these spiritual beings, but they're all lesser than you. They're all created by you because there's not one of them who, on heaven or on earth who can do the works that you do. Moses clearly understands that God is above all of creation. And he's acknowledging that. And he's not, he's not bowing himself to any of these other created beings like so many of the people did and will continue to do. So he's asking for more. You've only just begun. So verse 25, please let me go over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, that good hill country of Lebanon. But God's response, disobedience will keep us from experiencing the power of God. We've, we've actually used a phrase like that very recently. But I want you to see this morning that it applies to everyone among the people of God, not just the average, but the rulers as well, the leaders as well. Disobedience will keep us from experiencing the power of God. Verse 26, this is God speaking to Moses now. But the Lord was angry with me because of you and would not listen to me. The Lord said to me, enough from you. Do not speak to me of this matter again. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift up your eyes westward and northward and southward and eastward and look at it with your eyes, for you shall not go over this Jordan. But charge Joshua and encourage and strengthen him, for he shall go over as the head of this people, and he shall put them in possession of the land that you shall see. So we remain in the valley opposite of Beth Peor. Moses says, I've only just begun. Please let me go. Now Moses says, but the Lord was angry with me because of you people. Well, let's look at why God was angry at Moses, and then we'll come back to this. This is in Numbers chapter 20. Numbers chapter 20, verse 6. So then Moses and Aaron went from the presence of the assembly to, to the entrance of the tent of meeting and fell on their faces. And the glory of the Lord appeared to them, and the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Take the staff and assemble the congregation, you and Aaron, your brother. And look at the words, and tell the rock before their eyes to yield its water. So you shall bring water out of the rock for them and give drink to the congregation and their cattle. And Moses took the staff from before the Lord as he commanded him. Verse 10, then Moses and Aaron gathered the assembly together before the rock. And he said to them, hear now you rebels, because they had been complaining about the water, the lack of water. They wish they were back in Egypt. Hear now you rebels, shall we bring you water out of this rock? And Moses lifted up his hand and he struck the rock with his staff twice. But the Lord said, tell the rock, speak to it. He struck the rock with his staff twice and water came out abundantly and the congregation drank and their livestock. And the Lord said to Moses, and here's why the Lord's angry with Moses and Aaron, 
because you did not believe in me to uphold me as holy in the eyes of the people of Israel. Therefore, you shall not bring this assembly into the land that I have given them. These are the waters of Meribah, where the people of Israel quarreled with the Lord, and through them he showed himself holy. So the instruction was speak to the rock. Moses instead struck it. Now the Lord's angry with him because he did not uphold the Lord as holy. Look again at Numbers 27, verses 12 and 14, through 14. The Lord said to Moses, go up. This is now the, the, the Numbers version of what we're reading about in Deuteronomy. Go up into this mountain of Abarim and see the land that I have given to the people of Israel. When you have seen it, you also shall be gathered to your people as your brother Aaron was. Because you rebelled against my word in the wilderness of Zin when the congregation quarreled, that's what we just read about, failing to uphold me as holy at the waters before their eyes. These are the waters of Meribah, the Kadesh in the wilderness of Zin. Moses is not going to be permitted to take the people into the land because Moses was acting in disobedience. The disobedience of the people of God is what keeps us from seeing the power of God, and that includes the leaders. Moses was not an exception. Moses didn't get to, to, to do whatever he wanted to do, and then the Lord overlooked that. Because up to this point, the Lord had already, already punished an entire generation for not believing the Lord. And what did he say of Moses and Aaron when they hit the rock and said, because you did not believe me, and because you did not uphold me as holy. This, is Moses's, this was Moses' disobedient act that keeps him from getting into the land. Now, it may seem harsh. Well, come on, I mean... The guy led these people through the wilderness. He put up with this all this time, and the least that God could do is let him get in the land. God's holiness caters to nobody. It doesn't come down for any person, even someone as great as Moses. And the lesson for us is this. Disobedience keeps us from experiencing the power of God, and it doesn't matter who you are or what your position is in the body of Christ. God expects obedience. He requires it from all of the people under the covenant. And so Moses doesn't get to go into the land because of his disobedience, his, his not upholding God as holy. That's a big deal. And instead, he has to then have Joshua transition power so that Joshua's the one to take them in. Now, what Moses does get to go see, and this is an act of kindness from God, and I want you to see it as that, is that God, God still says, but I want you to go up onto this mountain so that you can see the land. I want you to look in all directions. That's God's kindness being shown. So even in the midst of our disobedience, God still shows his kindness. But listen, so oftentimes when we talk about Old Testament stuff and we try to apply it to our lives today, we're talking about Old Testament, which is the Old Covenant, and we are a people that come under the New Covenant in Christ. There are differences, right? But under the Old Covenant, sometimes what happens is we take, take something like, like the people of God in the Old Testament and the way they live, and we apply it to salvation. And that's not where we really need to apply it. Because God has already, as far as the picture of redemption goes, God has already redeemed his people by bringing them out of Egypt. What we're talking about is people living in the presence and the context of a relationship with God. That's sanctification. That is the people of God. That's believers in Christ living out their relationship with God. That's how we oftentimes need to, to apply the principles found in the Old Testament. So when you hear me talking about disobedience and Moses not getting into the land, this is why I'm bringing this up. This is not God saying, Moses, you're no longer part of my people. This is God saying that blessing that was going to be yours, you now don't get to experience that blessing. There are, there are blessings that God has for us 
that we can experience as we live our life in obedience to God. And the level of obedience that we live our lives to will, will have some level of correlation to the amount of blessing that we experience in this life. There's, there's no denying that. Where that gets muddy is, is my obedience is my obedience a work that I do in my own strength or do I do it in the spirit of God? Because when we talk about obedience and we apply Old Testament obedience, we need to understand something that's very significantly different from the Old Covenant and the New. As people that come under the New Covenant, I'm given the Spirit of God. I'm given a new heart. The law of God is written on my heart so that I might know God and I might obey God. I obey because God has already made me new. It's a response to what he's done. It's not obedience to earn something from him. And so when, I, when I'm living on obedience in the context of my relationship with God, it's about how intimate am I going to be with God? How, how much of him am I going to know and experience from him? But never in question, never in question is do I get kicked out of the covenant? Once I'm in Christ, there is no thing that separates me from the love of God in Christ. It's about my obedience and living in the context of a relationship with God. But I don't obey to enter that relationship. Do you, do you see the distinction? Because a lot of times what will happen is we'll go to the Old Testament, we apply it to salvation, and now you get a works-based salvation that you need to obey God in order to be saved. And the, the promised land is, is made equal to salvation, and it's not. Right? And so, and so what, but if we do that, then what we start to believe is my obedience gets me saved. My disobedience gets me lost. That's not the case. God gets you saved in Christ. He secures you in Christ because of what Christ has done for us. Now I live in the context of that relationship by the power of the Spirit. Philippians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14, we've, we've brought it up multiple times. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. That's not a command for you to work in order to be saved. It's a command for you to take the salvation that you already have and to live it out. Work it out. It's like kneading dough, right? You're working it out, right? Or not in your muscles. You're working it out. And then the very next verse, after work out your salvation with fear and trembling, is, for it is God who is at work within you both to will and to work, or to create the desire and to enable you to obey. My obedience is a work of the Spirit. If I'm doing it in the power of the Spirit, if I'm trying to obey God apart from the power of the Spirit, I'm not doing what God's calling me to do. So, disobedience can keep the people of God from experiencing more of the power of God. I've told you, I want, I want to see more in my life. I hope that's something you can say, even if you're scared of what it might mean. I want to see more of the power of God in my life. I don't want to be a Christian who just goes through the motions. I don't want to be a Christian who can just pat myself on the back because I went to church on Sunday and I gave on Sunday. Or I don't want to be a Christian that just gets to pat myself on the back because I had a great experience with people. I want to see and experience the power of God. And I believe God wants us to experience that more than what we settle for. And there's all kinds of reasons why we settle for it. But one of the reasons we probably don't experience it is there's disobedience in our life. Where is there sin in my life that I'm entertaining? Where is there unrepentant, unconfessed sin in my life that I'm, I'm letting live there because I'm saying, well, I'm doing this much for God, but I'm going to hold on to this. That's disobedience. Why? Because partial obedience is disobedience, right? I've got to fully obey God. It's, you know this, parents, grandparents. 
If you tell your kid to do something, you expect them to fully obey. If they only partially do what you ask, you don't give them credit for obeying. You expect full obedience. So where is it in my life that I've got disobedience? That's where we pray prayers like, Lord, search me and know me. Know my heart and show me the things that are in me that are not of you. That's where we, 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 we rest on verses like 1, 1 John 1, 9, where if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Listen, child of God, God does not expect you to be perfect. Believer in Christ, God does not expect you to, to, to live your life in perfection. He knows full well who he was getting when he sent Christ to die for you. Romans 5.8 tells us that much, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The Apostle Paul in 1 Timothy would say, this is a trustworthy statement, that, that Christ Jesus came to save sinners, and I'm chief among them. And yet Paul says that as a believer in Christ. Right? He knows that, that he's not rid of sin in his life yet, but he doesn't let the sin paralyze him, nor does he entertain it. Right? So as a believer in Christ, 1 John chapter 2, John says, I write to you, little children, a reference to believers, so that you will not sin. The goal is not to sin. Let's be clear. The goal is not to sin, right? He says, I write to you so that you might not sin. But if you do, there is an advocate with the Father, Christ Jesus, okay? So if you've sidelined yourself, or if you've said, well, I've disobeyed one too many times, therefore I can't, or God won't, here's what I want to say to you. Here's how you get back on track. Acknowledge your sin. Call it sin. That's what confession is. Call it sin. God, this is, this is what's in my life, in my heart. These are the words that I've said. It's sin. Name the specific sin if, if, if you know it. So if it's, hey, I've got lust in my heart, and I know your word says you should not lust. Or, hey, I'm coveting. I want something that my, my friends have that I don't have, and so I'm coveting, God. You say don't covet, right? I'm angry with this person. Well, well the, the, Jesus helps me to understand that even if I have anger in my heart, I'm guilty of murder. It's, it's on the same level with regard to the sin before God. Call it what it is. Confess it. But you've got to go beyond confession. Repentance is moving away from it. So I need to confess it, call it what it is, see it as God sees it. And then as a believer, I repent of that. I go the opposite direction, which means I may be saying prayers like, and replace that anger, God, instead with love, fruit of the Spirit. And instead of coveting God where I'm not content with you, replace that in me with joy and contentment. And if there's things that are causing me to sin, I cut them out of my life. That's where repentance comes in. So believer in Christ, this is what it looks like for you to live in the context of a relationship with God. And if you found yourself to be disobedient, don't be disheartened, repent. And then walk in the light as God is in the light. This is, this is your father. He's, he's not waiting for you to come in the light so he can smash you. If you're in Christ, he's waiting for you to come in the light so he can say, yeah, see, so my, my son's blood already covered that. Now let's walk back together again. It's a very different way of living before God when you understand, I don't have to obey to earn his love or acceptance. I obey because I've already been loved by him and accepted. But if we're lacking power, the power of God in our lives, we might start here. Disobedience. So God, would you let that rest upon us now? Holy Spirit, would you take these words, your words, and whatever I've said that's true to your word, God, take those and apply them and let them settle upon us that we might not forget them, that they might take hold of us. Show us, God, what it looks like to live out 
a relationship with you. And if there's disobedience in our lives, God, show us, search us that we might bring that before you, that we might know the forgiveness that was purchased for us in Christ, that we might know then and see more of the power of God in our lives. God, I pray for us as a congregation. I'm asking that you would show us if there's anything in us as a congregation that is disobedient to you, that is keeping us from experiencing more of the power of God among us. God, we don't want to settle for experiences that make us feel good. We don't want to settle for, for, for good worship services or great events. We, God, we want, we want to know you increasingly more and more. And we want to know the presence and the power of your spirit in our lives. Before we dismiss, we're going to have folks available. Maybe you didn't get prayed for earlier or you'd like someone to keep praying for you or you've got something completely different. And so they're going to be available for you. So if you're part of our prayer team, if you'll go ahead and make your way to a place in the room here, some up front, maybe some in the back there, and then somebody can cover that side room there, 117. So we'll have a room here out to, the, to your left where you can have some privacy if you would like to pray with someone in there. So prayer team, if you're willing to pray this morning, go ahead and make your way now to those places so that people know you're, you're there and available. And so God, as we depart from here, would you let your word wash over us? Would you let your goodness wash over us? God, would you, would you create in us a desire, a growing desire to know your power in our lives and to see it at work? Not so that we get the glory, but God, so that you get the glory. I ask it in the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. Amen. See you guys. 